Welcome guys to the Trying Podcast. My name is Nanini and on this podcast I'll be sharing with you the steps that I'll be taking to try and get over my fears and get out of my comfort zone. Hi, it's December 13th on Wednesday and I was supposed to publish on Tuesday, yesterday, but I didn't feel like I had enough. So I took the time to at least continue studying. I think I can just share what I've what I'm thinking about, what's in my brain right now, right? Just where I am right now. And so the topic is still desire. In the last episode, finding treasure. Is it treasure or treasures? Oh my gosh. Sometimes actually confirm <clears throat> finding treasure in that episode in the last hour and something some minutes i started sharing about this this um thread that i'm following about desire and its connection to fire and stuff like that but the question started off my my uh, my interest in studying desire started when i when I found the like Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 and Genesis chapter 4 verse 6, I found a connection between those two verses. God is the one who's speaking in both both places. And God in Genesis 3 16, God is telling Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In Genesis 4 6, God tells Cain, um, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So those two, they're so similar in so many ways. Just using the same words, desire, rule over you. But also at the same time, it's like there's Eve and there's her husband, Ab- Adam. And then there's Cain and then there's sin. There are so many things I'm sure I'm not seeing right now. But I started asking myself, okay, after trying to dig deep kidogo when it comes to rule over, trying to understand what does rule over mean in the study mastery, I came to some realizations in that study. And then I started focusing on desire. And I was like, wait, is Eve being put in the same bracket as sin? That is crouching, desiring to have Cain. Because God says, Eve, your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. And then God tells Cain, sin, it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. So I was like, okay. Is the desire that Eve, that God says Eve will have, is it bad? Is it a bad kind of a desire? And for the for sin, of course, it's not good, right? But it's the same word used in both cases. I think I found it. I don't know, it's such a T. Um Genesis chapter three verse. It's the same word. Oh, it's actually in the beginning. It's the same word. 
and I don't think I'm going to go through all these notes because I'm just I was writing I was writing down my thought process so instead of like going through all these notes I'm just going to like breeze through them so the word used in Genesis 3.16 and the word used in Genesis 4.6 is Teshuka that's how I'm going to pronounce it it's a Hebrew word Teshuka and it means a longing if your longing will be for your, your desire, your longing will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It's the same word used in Genesis 4, 6 for sin. And God tells Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It longs to have you. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. <sighs> so I was like, okay. I started seeing there's some there's some different ways the word desire is used in the Bible, mostly like the the Old Testament because I was looking at the Old Testament, and I found like that different words, but all of them are connected to desire, <laughs> like attracted, like attractive. Covet is one that I highlighted, desirable desire. Um, so one of the words I found that in Genesis chapter 6 no, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 I didn't confirm this but maybe this is one of the first first times the word desire is used I am not sure exactly but I didn't but I found I found out in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight, highlight delight, it was a delight to the eyes and that, actually not, it's not Genesis, oh, it's Genesis 2.9. <laughs> okay, let me think through what I'm saying. So in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, this is the first, this is the part, the earliest part where I found, I didn't actually look for it, so let me just say, I think. I think this is the earliest place where we see a word similar to desire, right, being used. Um, and it's it's in the same context as, it's connected to Eve. So Genesis 2, 9, and out of the ground, the Lord God made, a, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That that sentence structure right there every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food will be repeated when Eve describes like we are told what Eve sees and what she desires from the um, the tree of knowing good and evil in Genesis chapter 3 so those exact words actually so in Genesis 2 9 we are told that out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, desirable, and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So those two things are mentioned in the same place. So God springs up trees and they're desirable, right? They're pleasant to the sight and they're good for food. And then there's the mention of the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and evil as well. My voice. <laughs> and then in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, 
It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, we are repeating about the trees that are pleasant to the sight and good for food. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now the word used for delight um, and that it was a delight to the eyes. You see in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, they use the word pleasant to the sight. But in Genesis 3, 6, they use the word a delight to the eyes. It's the same word. And it means it's tava. T-A-A-V-A-H. Tava. It's from the root word ava. And then that ava means the meaning of the word that our that word ava is to incline like they, it's there's an inclination to incline and it has been translated in several places as being greedy or to crave like to crave something or like um you're being greedy right Another word that has been used for desire, the next word in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, and that it was a delight to the eyes. Delight is ta'ava, right? A desire, an inclination. And then, it's like attractiveness. And then, it continues and says, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate so the word desired it's used it's um is it c-h-a-m-a-d hamad hamad maybe that's how it's pronounced because the ch sometimes they pronounce it with a hamad so it means to desire to take pleasure to take pleasure in also has been translated into like a, a craving oh, to covet hamad to desire take pleasure in translated as attracted covet desirable so it's like one word in its of again i'm not exactly sure if um what, what i'm going to say next is correct but the way i'm understanding is like as an adjective you can use the word delight, pleasing, pleasant to the, to the eyes, delightful, attractive, right? But desire is like a noun. Um, if, if it's not used as like an adjective, on its own, it's like desire. It's desire to make one wise. Anyway, so... I started by saying in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. Genesis 3 16, that's where God tells Eve, your desire, the word there, it's it's not hamad and it's not ta'ava, but I had said this before, it's tashuka, teshuka, a longing. That's what I'm saying. There's different ways the word desire has been used 
and different words words have been used to like describe what to, to describe the desire so the the verses that i had been asking about sin crouching at your door and it desires to have you and then if your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you that is a longing and i was like okay 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 even though it's a longing teshuka that desire thing like your longing will be for your husband again i'm just i'm just trying to explain my thought process <laughs> like where i am currently so this is what i've been thinking about so the 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 there are questions i still have the things i still like the links i still haven't made connections to and i'm still asking myself some questions but right now from genesis chapter 2 we are following the thread of there are trees that are pleasant to the sight delightful to look at delightful to the eyes and they are good for food and then that narrative is like a story we introduced to these trees there are many trees but then we are narrowing down to there's a mention of the tree of life and the tree it's like there are many people in the community but have you met june and have you met sam just listing a name the entire community from like from among among the entire community june and sam have been highlighted now in this case the characters that have been highlighted so far is the tree of life in genesis chapter 2 well adam is there but mm, is adam or no no adam has not yet been created in genesis chapter 2 so there's um the tree of life there's a mention of the creation of the springing up from the ground of the trees that are pleasant to look at and good for food and then there's the narrowing down to the the and the mention of the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and evil and then that's genesis chapter 2 the next chapter literally begins in that garden where these trees are we see eve no no actually before genesis chapter 3 it's we're still following the narrative trees spring up they're beautiful and they're good for food and then there's the narrowing down to the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and evil and then god gives a command and says don't eat from the tree of knowing good and evil there's no mention about the tree of life we're just told adam is told and eve that told don't take and eat from the tree of knowing good and evil if you do that if you take and eat you will die hmm so that's like it's like uh what do you call it in a story it's a uh, Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, it's like we are left with a question, oh, will they eat it? Will they die? What do you call that? When you're like stringing some somebody along to find for for any if they want to find out how something ends. Um, I've forgotten. So anyway, that's how the narrative begins. Long ago in a beautiful garden, trees, beautiful, there were beautiful trees and and um that were beautiful to look at and good for food they were beautiful desirable trees and then god creates uh, no it's a garden right and then a man and a woman 
are given one command. Do not eat from this one tree, the tree of knowing good and evil. And then we open the next page and we see in that same garden, the woman starts talking to a burning one, a fiery snake, a fiery serpent. And as she looks at the tree of knowing good and evil, she sees that it's beautiful, delightful to her eyes and that it's good for food. So we're taking back to like the, the, the story, okay? So it's one of those trees, okay? And then, because it's already highlighted with her conversation with the fiery serpent that this is one, is this is that tree that she's not supposed to take and eat from it. So the nar- narrator continues and says, um, she, she, uh, no, no, I want to say like she took it. Because I'm, I'm trying to think through this even as I'm telling this story. Because it's part of the questions that I still have. So it's long ago in a distant land. I Aku, right? <laughs> long ago in a distant garden. There were these beautiful trees that were delightful to the to delightful del- were that were a delight to look at, a delight to the eyes, <clears throat> and that were good for food, pleasant to the sight and good for food. And then the man and the woman are given a command do not eat from this one tree. That is delightful to the eyes and good for food. But do not eat from this one tree. The tree of knowing good and evil. Open the next page. We see the woman is having a discussion with another being. And they're talking about this one tree that 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 um, they're told not to covet. They're told not to covet. The reason why I'm saying covet is because when I found out that delight, not that desire, is connected to coveting, that's one of the connections I made like, okay. Because where else, personally, I haven't read the entire Bible. So from the many little parts of the Bible that I've read and I can remember, coveting, I'm taken back to um the what are they called the commandments do not covet your neighbor neighbor's property and your neighbor's wife Cindy. oh gosh okay there's some there's that don't covet what is not yours there's a boundary that you're not supposed to cross it might look desirable it might look pleasing you might be even attracted to it but do not take for yourself you see how that is connected to the the fruit and the tree because this narrator continues and talks about oh yeah the woman the woman who was talking to this other being she um oh man I've started writing in this other notebook and I, the pages are a little bit confusing. Oh yeah. So she sees that this tree that is forbidden, it's a delight to the eyes and that it, it's desirable to making one wise. 
she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And what did she do? She took from it of its fruit and she ate and then she gave her husband who, with her, who was with her and he ate. In my head, what's running in my head right now are those other questions that I still have that are in an open folder somewhere in my mind. But okay, let me focus on currently what I've what I've been thinking through. So there's that aspect of desire, right? There's delight, there's pleasing, something that's pleasing to the eyes, um, attract attraction, attractiveness, something that's attractive. Trying to look at the other words because it'll come in handy. Um, coveting, craving, greed, an inclination, right? A longing, right? So I was like, okay, 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 fine. So there's a tree, there are trees that are beautiful and they're desirable. And then this, from these trees, there's this one tree we are not supposed to take from. Okay. But then we take from it. By we, I mean mankind, Adam. Right. We take from it. And it leads to death. Okay. So the, the narrative starts with, oh my gosh, literally what in the first page, I was expecting this story to, to be strung along, like to be narrated in a way like at the end we find out whether they ate or they didn't eat but no we literally find out the next page actually yeah they did eat and caused death so what um what what um i'm curious about as a reader now is like okay is there a solution are they saved from death or do they end up just dying is this the end Right? So that's what I have in my head. And what's this desire thing? Because in the next chapter, literally the next page, we see this, we see like the offspring of this woman and the man, like their children, they're experiencing something similar. There is a, there is a, um, There's a choice. There's a choice, right? And the firstborn son is told what is like is told if you do what is right, if you choose, if you make the right choice, you you'll be accepted. Will you not be accepted if you make the right choice? Remember your parents had a choice to make. To either make the right choice, listen to me. Who gave them the command and not for them to not die or listen to this other being the fairy serpent right any other voice aside from my voice speaking as god is not the right choice my choice my, my my um my commands are good my commands are life my commandments my commands are life my instructions are life Right? So he tells Cain, 
Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do what is right, sorry, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires. There we go again. It desires to have you. Now it's no longer the human beings that are desiring something outright anyway but this another being but then also in this narrative we find out Cain also has a desire in his heart because God tells him for you to make a choice what uh, I mean like I'm just thinking about this right every choice there's a desire string to like what I am my where my where I'm inclining towards my inclination that's where my desire is right I choose what is more pleasing to me I choose what is better for me I choose what is good for me right what I'm attracted to what I'm craving where my inclination is now with Cain I think this is something this is part of I think I'm answering one of these questions I had in my open folder in my brain <clears throat> I didn't even I don't even know how to like express that question it's like a bit muddy but this is kind of the answer because my question was in like if I can put it in a question format anyway I think I'd ask like with desire is it like a black and white thing? Is desire good? Is desire bad? Period. Like, is it black and white? How can I know that I, my desire is good? Because clearly we are seeing the trees that you, that you, God, the trees that you created, they are desirable. Meaning you, desire is not like, um, is not, uh, innately i was looking for that word let me google innate desire innately like desire is not bad innate <clears throat> as an inborn characteristic naturally yes naturally innately desire is not evil because what god created kwanzaa let's just start from here god creates things and then he con he constantly he constantly after creating it he says it is good it is good right and then he creates trees that are desirable so it's not like adam and eve like um created their own version of reality and then they saw the trees no no they were already desirable <coughs> But it's one command that God gave them. You can eat from all of these other desirable trees. All of them are desirable, by the way. You can eat from all these other trees. But don't take. Don't take. This is forbidden. Don't take from this tree of knowing good and evil. So mankind had access to all the other desirable things. Except from the taking from the uh, taking the fruit from of the tree of knowing good and evil now my muddy question <laughs> is like 
think I'm yeah I think it's so obvious now when I think about it because I was asking myself okay am I going to just look at the word that has been used there delight desire and then that's the only place where God is telling the narrative about desire but then I hope I don't even know if that made sense my answer right now is like no you don't there is like subliminal messages let me also google such then subliminal because I think subliminal of a stimulus or mental process below the threshold of sensation or or our consciousness perceived by or affecting someone's mind without their being aware of it okay yeah subconscious unconscious yeah I think subliminally the narrative also tells of um it's not really hidden because I'm looking at the similar word subliminal but our hearts our human hearts we have desires there is no human heart that doesn't have desires so even though it's not outright outwardly like stated in the in the in the verse is like your desire will be for your husband or it desires to have you or they're desirable for food and it's pleasing to the sight like even though they're not it's not like outwardly stated like this is what's happening here with Cain we can see that with Cain even at Atwanzembali like let's even start um in Genesis chapter 3 the serpent the fiery serpent the snake it had desires as well it had a reason to come to eve to approaching it had a, it had its own reasons for approaching eve because it was trying to change eve's mind it was trying to to um lead eve into making a choice the wrong choice but a choice so it had a desire and so far because i know now this snake eventually becomes is connected to sin it's connected to death it's connected to satan right it's connected to a being that desires to be to sit on god's throne this is mastery what i what i um had studied in mastery it desires to be the leader and take over god's leadership the role of god it desires to be god exodus chapter 28 whatever this being is this creature this this thing is that is trying to change eve's mind it it has its own desires it longs to rule it longs to rule and even god tells cain sin is crouching at your door and it now now it's like it's explicit god says explicitly yes sin has a desire and it desires to have you to rule over you but cain understand you have the power to rule over it and you must rule over it but it's a choice you have to make now we see cain has now some concealed desires some hidden desires that are not i don't think they're outwardly like stated 
But later on, we find out after the action has been done, we find out, oh my gosh, this is why, because God knows Cain's heart, even before he does something, he already knows the heart's desire, right? God already knows the heart's desire, Cain's heart, Cain's desires. And so God is telling Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door just as it did to your mom and your dad. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Later on, we find out Cain kills his brother Abel. His desire was to be accepted. But not even that. Because if that was his only desire, God told him, okay, just do what is right. Right? But his desire was, um, he was jealous. He was, he wanted to be the one and only. It's just like the, the snake. It's just like sin. It's just like the, the Satan. He desires, he wants to be, his desire is to be the one and only God who is served, who is worshipped. He wants to take God's place, which can never happen. But that's, his, that's the desire. So now it leads me to now where I got into understanding like, okay, okay, Nanini, you don't have to like search all these words in here like that have been used to, to <clears throat> talk about desire. And I was like, okay, okay. I wrote down here. So God has created a variety, a lot of trees that were pleasant, struck delightful to the eyes and also good for food. But Adam and Eve coveted. They were greedy. <clears throat> Their desire was wisdom. They desired more. Literally God told them. They were one where they were with God, right? But then too, what God told them not to take and because of greed, they took what was not theirs. It was not theirs to take. They coveted. So I wrote Adam and Eve coveted in brackets were greedy. They coveted the only tree God told them not to take and eat from. So now I'm understanding, okay. So that it starts from the heart. Desires start from the heart. Now, as this following this narrative of it's a story, it's a it's a storybook that someone is narrating, and I'm like, okay, okay. So one, there is an issue with death. How do we deal with that? How does this story end? Right? Okay, they already ate from the tree. They're still not dying because they are having children, Cain and Abel. But then we are starting to see death leaking. Because one child dies. Is this the death that is talked about? We don't know. Because when the parents are still alive, Cain is still alive. The parents have had another child, Seth. And I'm like, okay. What's happening? I continue reading. One, there's a question of, will they die? Uh, does this God who clearly is talking, still talking to them, is he going to help them, save them? How? We don't know. But then now there's this other understanding, this other thread 
of like the heart's desire. So I'm asking myself, okay, so if my heart's desire leads to death, <laughs> clearly mankind's desire can be, um, can, can overpower them. My heart's desire can overpower me. Oh, wow. There's something I'm thinking about. I want to, let me say this sentence and I don't know if it's true. Like, I don't know if it makes sense. God wants me to rule over my desire. Because with, with Eve, Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So the ruling over is connected to the desire. In Genesis 4.6, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Okay. Okay. Actually, let me write this down. <laughs> Where will I write this down? Maybe this is something. Well, let me write it down so that I don't forget. Um, God. This is think. Me writing. Think. Nanini. Okay. God wants me to rule over my heart's desire desires so there there are many okay 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 so now moving on where my brain thought what my brain thought about was okay okay desire and everything and then i remembered in the last episode i wanted to study the song of solomon chapter 8 we cannot really study the chapter, but I had read the chapter and I, will, I asked myself some questions about the wilderness, about um, like who's that coming in the wilderness. I also asked myself about the fire because I was connecting desire and fire, right? I'm not going to rehash what I talked about in the last episode. Actually, in the last episode, I said like I would use that same last um, recording where I was talking about desire and I'll link it with this recording. I don't know if I'll do that. I don't know if I'll start with that recording and then I think I should, right? I think I will. I will. I think this is the first time I'm like reusing quote unquote like a recording. Is it? I think it is. But it makes sense makes sense so i'll uh, it's like a one hour and some some minutes so i'll start with that recording and then i'll attach now today's recording now this recording because now when i talk about song of solomon um i, I started reading from the first chapter and then i started writing some notes so let me go through just very briefly just the things that i saw it may not even be connected to <clears throat> to there's some there's some links with desire but there's some other things that i think might make sense in future recordings so um at least if i read through them again right now and i record them i think it will help me in the future while I'm thinking through these things. So Song of Solomon, chapter one. one. Why, why Song of Solomon? 
So I was thinking about desire and fire and passion, right? Desire. Because my question was like, okay, um, currently in my life as a human being, Nanini, June, yeah, I have desires in my daily life, right? But in connection to, because I was thinking about Adam and Eve, husband and wife, that's that's usually that's um that's where I was. I was leaning. Oh, my inclination was. <laughs> so I was asking myself, okay. The same way God created trees that are pleasing to look at, pleasing to the sight, God created human beings with desires, right? Emotional desires, sexual desires. Um, are there any other type of desires? I actually Google type of desires. If there's anything, in the end, the researchers identified 16 basic desires that we all share acceptance. Well, that is Cain, curiosity. Hmm. Was Eve curious? I don't know. Eating. Family, honor, idealism, independence, order, wow, physical activity, power, romance, saving, social contact, status, tranquility, and vengeance. Wow. Acceptance, curiosity, curiosity, eating, that is connected to like Adam and Eve. Family, honor, idealism, independence, and order. I think that's also connected to Adam and Eve. They wanted to take for themselves to be independent and independent and have their own wisdom use their own wisdom physical activity power power the snake romance okay everything so, um I, I wanted to see if like there's some desire motives desire motivates us in many important ways physical desire for example is called hunger and thirst or thirst intellectual desire is called curiosity Sexual desire is called lust. Economic desire is called consumer demand. Okay. So I was connecting mostly when it comes the, with, I was connecting, I was um, inclining when it, when it comes to desire, my inclination was towards like the sexual desire, not exactly physical desire, not intellectual desire, not economic desire. That's why I, I thought about Song of Solomon. Because I was like, hmm, this is about the entire book. And apparently it's not that long. <laughs> I read from chapter 1 to chapter 8. It's very brief. It's very short. Um, it's about the entire story. It's about a bridegroom and his bride. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful book. <laughs> I found myself asking so many questions, but... Also, let me read through some of these two brief notes that I wrote. So, <clears throat> Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2 to 3. Um, I think it's the bride who says this. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing, delightful. Now, I highlighted deli delightful in connection to like desire, right? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I hope. Gosh, okay. Let me pause first. Okay. Rewind. Desire in 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 yes in not yesterday's episode last week's episode. 
connecting desire and fire, husband and wife, right? This sexual desire thing. I was connecting it with fire. And I saw how fire, I'm not going to rehash that because I'm sure I'll, I have attached it here. So how fire, um, Ish or Aish, um, and the man and the woman, Ish and Isha, how they are connected, right? Fire, when you add the Yod in between those letters of fire, it forms the word man. When you add the hay at the front in the beginning, because I think in the last episode I was saying at the end of the of of fire, but it's in the beginning because the Hebrew they read from like front to no, what do you say from left right to left, and as we read from left to right, when you write when you read we are reading from left to right, but then they read backwards. It's like they read backwards from right to the left. So with the word fire. The words used in Hebrew for fire. When you add the letter Yod in the middle of those letters for fire that form the word fire, it it um, creates the word man. But in that same those same letters that form the word fire, you add the letter Hey at the end, it becomes the the, the word woman. So woman and man, they're connected with fire somehow. So my question was like, what is this? What's why? In today's world, we connect, like we link fire with passion and like um, desire, right? So I was like, okay, I connected it to God. But then my question was, where do we see God being linked to fire? And I remember I had also started asking myself another question on the side about God and fire. When I remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fire and then this one like the son of man appears. One like a uh, son of the gods appear in the fire with them. And then I remember Moses in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord and the Lord there in the fire and then I remember Ezekiel about these cher- these um, the throne of God and it's fiery and all these cherub- cherubim they're like it's like they're made they're of fire they're on fire it's like there's a there's a link between God and fire God on the wilderness in the wilderness with the protecting the children of Israel the son the Israel nation with fire and then we come to the Holy Spirit. And the disciples describe how the Holy Spirit fell on them. And above their heads, it's like flames of fire. You see? The Holy Spirit connecting, connecting with, connected with fire. So there's this question in my head, like, okay, what's this happening? And so I came across Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. I think I googled something to do with God and fire and then Song of Solomon came up. I don't exactly remember, but I'm sure I've mentioned it in the recording that I will have attached. So it's the words the very flame of the the very flame of the Lord is in that verse. 
So now, that's why yesterday I decided to like start studying that to see the very flame of the Lord and stuff like that. So then I was like, mm, because Song of Solomon doesn't look to be that long, why not start from chapter one? So these are the two brief notes, right? Song of Solomon chapter one, verse two to three. I'm going to read some some of the notes that I've written. I haven't written all the verses, so I'm just going to highlight the verses that I've I'm, I'll read the verses that I've highlighted. For your love is more delightful than wine, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Now again, I understand that from the very beginning I've been studying about looking into desire and the other words used in place of desire, like as adjectives or adverbs adjectives that are like linked to desire and delight and pleasing are one of those adjectives so from now on whenever i come across such words they are hinting me back to oh desire right and here in song of solomon it's connected to love for your love is more delightful than wine pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes okay Chapter 2, verse 14. There's the mention of... Oh, I think I need to open that. Because <laughs> I had... I read this and I was like, wow. This is literally here. Song of Solomon. Chapter 2, verse 14. Okay, so I think this is the woman. Right? Um, ESV has this way of telling who is speaking. The bride adores her beloved. So this is the bride speaking. This is the bride speaking and she says, Oh my dove. She keeps on referring to the eyes of the, the beloved as doves. Oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rock. I read that and I was like, Moses. <laughs> cleft of the rock? That is on the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, where Moses tells God, I want to see, like reveal yourself to me. And then God says, you can't see my, nobody can see my form and live. Nobody can see me and live. So I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. Right, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by and you'll see my back. So Moses is asking to see God's form. And in Song of Solomon, the reason why even I when I started seeing this, I said I was I was seeing like, okay, I'm not I'm not studying my own things. Desire is connected to love and it's connected to fire and it's connected to I I even later on found out about some other thing that I'm like, oh gosh. I'm try I'll try to to hurry and, and get to that part. But can you imagine the, okay let me let me just read. Let me read and then read some of the two notes I've written. So verse 14, Song of Solomon chapter two. Oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. One, that is beautiful. Two, Moses asking 
to see God's form and he's and 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 um he is in the cleft of the rock so that got me asking the question if this is the bride speaking to the bridegroom and i do believe i've come to see the bible as this one narrative that starts from the very beginning and there are these threads that are just flowing beautifully like they're threaded everywhere in these texts. So since Genesis comes first and then Exodus comes, Exodus follows, we see, okay. So from the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden when they ate and death came, God was there. God saved them actually by taking them out of the garden, right? He took them out of the garden. He didn't save them from death. But he took them out of the garden. He had promised them that death, the snake, will be crushed. So we're here like, okay, okay, how? But okay, we'll see. And then later on, we see God choose from, God choose um, a man, Abraham. And and God tells Abraham, from you, I'll bring, you see that offspring that I promised Adam and Eve? That from her an offspring will arise at the root of David from the root of that offspring will arise the stamp and he he's the one who's going to to strike the snake's head okay he's going to come from you from all the nations of the world abraham i've chosen you to bring out a nation where that offspring will be born so we follow this story, this narrative of Abraham, and we find ourselves to Moses. These people called Israel. This is something I've, 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 I've studied. Like uh, I was studying an hour ago, an hour or two ago, two hours ago, about the Israel name. Oh man, there's so many things. So. <laughs> I was asking myself, okay, so Moses, Moses, we find Moses talking to God on a mountain and he asks to see God's form and then God puts him in the cleft of the rock. And then now, fast forward to Song of Solomon, right? So many things are coming into my brain right now, but I need to just pause first. <laughs> okay, let me follow a narrative. So fast forward, we're in Song of Solomon. And the bride, not even the bridegroom, the bride is the one saying, Oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. So my question is, okay, so is Moses, was Moses, was Moses pointing to the bride? Let's, that's like a micro thing. Let's expound, expand Kidogo. Were the Israelites, the Israel nation, the bride? Okay, we do see like the Israel nation. Moses was a, uh, Moses was a representative of the Israel nation. And the Israel nation was a representative of the nations. Right? So, Moses telling God he wants to see his form 
It's like a cry. It's like a desire of the people, the mankind. They want to see God's form. They want to be reconnected again to God. They want to be connected again to God. They want to see God. Have I made sense? This is what I wrote. I wrote down Moses slash Israel slash children of God. Then I now jumped to the New Testament because it's the same narrative. Slash the church slash the bride. They are the same thing. Moses was pointing was Moses was a representative of the children of Israel. The children of Israel were the children of God because they were God said um, it's they are His possession from the nations. He has chosen them right to be His children. The children of God. God calls them His bride in the Old Testament, and then we see God also talks about bringing in the nations. God brings in the Gentiles into this covenant. And th- that's when it becomes a new covenant, right? But only through the offspring. The offspring has come. In the New Testament, the whole offspring has been born. The one who's supposed to strike the snake, because I'm now in this page, whatever, of this narrative, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the, the offspring that was promised has been born. Right, And then later we see he actually strikes the snake. Death. He faces death. And he rises from the dead. So that loop that we're supposed to make, like how are they going to be saved? This offspring keeps on saying, remember the death that our, that Adam and Eve, your, your father and your mother, original father and mother, remember that death that they brought? Yeah, I am the one who comes to defeat that death and bring life give you life you now have access to life through me i have crushed the snake you now have you now have access to the garden you see when moses was saying i want to see your form meaning it's like moses was crying on behalf of mankind not even israel not even like the church Because the church is now those who have accepted. If you have accepted the invitation, if you have believed that you can receive life through Christ, you are in. But there are those who are not in yet. There are those who have not yet accepted. And there is still a call. God is still calling out to them, telling them, come. Come look at this beautiful, beautiful um, gift. And when you come, You can have the gift. All you have to do is accept the gift. So now Moses is representing the mankind, the human race, and mankind's desire. This is why I'm connecting this to desire. I've seen this now. Let me write here. Mankind's desire is to see God, a.k.a have a relationship oh this is perfect this connects now with god this connects to my notes now (laughs) it actually connects to my notes (laughs) because again i was saying like even though i've written some notes i've just was just writing what like 
what was going through my head and it doesn't mean like it makes sense from start to to um, from beginning to the end like what i'm writing down but now i'm seeing a connection okay 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 okay, okay. so moses is representing mankind's desire mankind yearning is yearning connected to desire longing sindio yearning <coughs> yearning a feeling of intense longing for something perfect craving desire the urge okay oh burning Ooh. i love how our how languages work okay so moses yearns and longs for a connection a deeper connection because moses again literally he can flex all day because even god calls him his friend and he says he talks to moses face to face as one talks to a friend but then moses wants more here's the thing moses wants more and that's not a bad desire this is a good desire when you want to when you want to have a a I'd say closer relationship deeper relationship when you want to be close to god when you want to be as close as possible to god that's an amazing desire and that's not impossible because that's what god that's what god wants that is what god wants to give mankind he wants to give mankind himself he wants you to eat of him and drink of him so that he may be in you and you may be in him such so can be one with god oh, this connections that was not in my notes i've literally just made that connection now when i realized by the way it's true moses does represent the israel nation the israel nation is the children of god who else is called the children of god now in the new testament everyone who now believes everyone is now welcome we have been grafted in only the israel nation was close to god but god, the goal was for god to to um set them apart and purify them and make them holy so that they can be a royal priesthood so that he can send them out like prophets so that he can like the disciples god jesus making a what is that called when jesus tells his commission jesus commissions his disciples go into the world start here but then spread go into the world that was what god wanted from the israelites he wanted to sanctify them and god knew that the only way the only way you can become priests meaning the only way you can have access to the temple meaning the only way you can have access to my presence is to be holy and not just by blood sacrifices um Mm, not just by animal sacrifices no 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 i need to start sanctify you from deep down from your heart your heart needs to i love out these connections thank you holy spirit your heart needs to be sanctified your heart that's where this the that's where the desires stem from we need to change the desires of your heart that's where anger came from and jealousy came that's where greed eve came from 
that, the desire, the heart, that is what needs to change. Okay, let me continue. So, um, this is Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 14, right? And I made the connection. Okay, so if this is the bride speaking in Song of Solomon chapter 2, that means Moses was point, was um, was a, was like a bride, was representing the bride of God, the bride, right? Because Song of Solomon is like, um, it's like the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom. The relationship, the union, the union between the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom but the question is do does the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom exist on this earth that's a question now that gets me thinking okay okay so if the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom does not exist on this earth then who are these people pointing to we find that actually the perfect bridegroom is Christ. God himself is the perfect bridegroom. Because he's the one who's always faithful. We see that from the Old Testament. But the perfect bride, mankind, on his own, like mankind, both male and female, mankind on his own cannot be the perfect bride. We cannot. We or or any um of our own strength, we cannot be the perfect bride. God, we need to be one with God. For us to be one with God, man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his bride and the two will become one flesh. For us, for the bride, if we are to be the bride, because that's God's plan for us to be the bride, he calls us to be his bride. So for those who are set apart, those who are cleansed, those who are purified, are the ones who can be the bride. And the only way to do that is for God himself to purify us from within. That means his spirit is what needs to be in us to change us from the inside out, from our minds, build us brick by brick right so i was like okay so god is the perfect bridegroom and we see a vision a picture a prophecy of how the perfect bride will look like in revelation we see the new jerusalem the bride of christ coming down right so there are all these things i'm seeing while i'm reading this right so, okay, so I wrote down, okay, Moses struck Israel, struck children of Israel, struck the church, struck the bride. Okay, and then I wrote down God equals the bridegroom. So I was like, okay, fine. The next chapter, the other thing that stood out, it was chapter 3, verse 6. Oh, yeah, so this was, um, I remember asking myself about the wilderness thing. And at first I was like, okay, the will, the only thing that is in the wilderness is, is, um, that which is unclean right the snakes the scorpions the um the wolves like all these things are what are in the wilderness and it's symbolizing like the unclean spirits that they like to live in deserted areas like azazel who sacrifices are done in the wilderness so genesis 3 6 
we see um, there's this title, Solomon's Wedding Day, The Bridegroom's Wedding Day. It starts by saying, what is this coming up from the wilderness? Now, the moment I'm seeing the wilderness, I'm like, okay, hold on. One. And then it says, the, like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, frankincense with all scented with all scented powders of the merchant behold it is the traveling couch of solomon 60 men 60 mighty men around it of the mighty men of israel all of them were wilders um, wilders all of them were wilders of the sword expert in war each man had his sword at his side guarding against the terrors guarding against the terrors of the night king solomon had made for himself a sedan chair from the timber of lebanon and then he continues and says down here go forth o daughters of zion and gaze on king solomon with the crown with which his mother has crowned him on the day of his wedding and on the day of his gladness of heart when I read coming up from the wilderness, I was like, hmm, is this an unclean thing? Like, is this pointing to something that like, like um, an adversary who's coming from the wilderness? But then I see um, columns of smoke and then traveling couch of Solomon. Behold, it's the traveling couch of Solomon. I, I remembered what came to my mind was Ezekiel. Let me actually just read uh, Ezekiel chapter 1 verse something. This is exactly what I'm seeing. As I looked. Is there something about the wilderness here? Okay. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4. Right, I'm just from reading the things I've, I've highlighted. Um, there's something coming up from the wilderness. In col like columns of smoke, travel the traveling couch of Solomon, right? There are these mighty men of Israel, the warriors are surrounding his his um his um chariot, the couch, right? And then he has on a crown given to him on the day of his wedding. Okay, Ezekiel chapter one verse four. As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continuous continually and a bright light around it and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire within it there were figures resembling four living beings these are the warriors there were figures resembling four living beings and this was their appearance they had human form each one of them had four faces and four wings their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof and they gleamed like burning bronze under their wings on their four sides were human hands as for the faces and wings of the four of them their wings touched one another their faces did not turn when they moved each went straight forward as for the form of their faces each had a face like of a man all four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left bull this is something i in the aleph study i was like a bull so just 
pausing there, pausing it right there. So the face of a man, of a lion, of a bull on the left, and all four had face of an eagle, the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above, each head two touching another being and two covering their bodies. Okay, let me scroll down. I want to see about this. You see how tra the traveling couch of Solomon? I want to see if there's a traveling couch here. Something similar to that. Okay, verse 13. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire. Again, fire. Burning coals of fire. Like torches darting, darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. And the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. What have I read? Now, as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling burial, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Okay, let me scroll down. Okay, verse 22. Now, over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse. Let me pause for a minute. I googled while I was reading this traveling couch of Solomon. It has been translated differently. I was googling, okay, what is this traveling couch? What, what does it mean? Let me go back to Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 6. Verse 7, behold, it is the traveling couch of Solomon. That is NASB. NIV, verse 7, look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, okay? ESV says, behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Hmm, I was like, why? They're using different words. In King James says, behold, his bed, which is Solomon's. There's bed, there's litter, there's couch, there is, um, what else have I seen? Let me Google, let me go to Bible Hub, because I want to see the word used there, right? I think I did actually go to Bible Hub. Bible Hub, Song of Solomon, let me look up Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 6. Verse 6. I want to see the word used there. Hebrew. Okay. Who is this coming from the wilderness? Like a column of smoke scented with myrrh and frankincense from all the spices, the merchants. Okay. Verse 7. Hebrew. Behold, it is Solomon's carriage. The word is used for a bed, for sleeping, eating, a sofa, litter. And then there's this other word. Or did I Google? Because I found out like it's something that you see how the people carry on their shoulders, like in Egypt, how 
people were carrying the king is like sitting on a throne that can be lifted and carried by people litamine Hmm. King's litter, you such. Another name for a palanquin is a litter. Uh -huh. the, the palanquins that ancient Indian and Chinese royalty used for long trips were often large enough for sleeping and dining in. And were carried by dozens of people. That's my point. This thing. Yeah. The images. We've even seen in movies and stuff like that. So this thing. This litter. You see it can be used. That's why they're saying it's a bed. It's a couch. It's a coach. Like a coach. The, the nini. Not a sitting couch. But you know. Kagari kadogo. So anyway that right i have that image like okay so it's one of those two things that are carried okay so when i go back to ezekiel and then i read that these living beings were carrying something above them you see the same way a king is lifted that people are carrying like on their shoulders many people are carrying this king's litter on their shoulders now in ezekiel the 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 alpha the king the alpha the alpha king alpha and the omega his his throne his chariot is also carried by living creatures so that's something i saw let me go back to that part Aeneas b Verse 22, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22. Now over the heads of the living beings, so that's the image I have, right? There was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spreading out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, the one towards the other, one towards toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body on on the side on one side and on the other i also heard the sound of the of the wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went like the voice of the almighty a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp whenever they stood still they dropped their wings and there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads whenever they stood still they dropped their wings now above the expanse that was over their heads there was some there was there were, there was something resembling a throne so this is why when i read song of solomon chapter 3 verse 6 this came to mind and who is this who is this one that is on the throne right that's the question okay now above the expanse that was over their heads there was something resembling a throne like lapis lazuli in appearance sapphire and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man where have i heard this daniel one like a son of man hmm 
I wonder who called himself the son of man. Verse 27. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire. This is my point. God, there's no separating God and fire. I think that's why there's this view of hell being like fire. God is the consuming fire. See, there's something like that. Um, God is the consuming. Yeah, yeah. Even when I read Ezekiel chapter 28, I remember like the guardian the guardian covering cherub was told like fire consumed him from within um so god is a consuming fire deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 23 for the lord your god is a consuming fire a jealous god wow okay okay is it in my notes jealous 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 did i see jealous song of solomon it's song of solomon Okay, I'll read it. I'll come across. It's Song of Solomon chapter 8. Where love is mentioned like it's fire. Love is like fire. And then jealousy is like Sheol. Actually, love is like death. Why is love like fire? Let's see. Oh, Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 6. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol, its flashes, the flashes of love and jealousy, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So we see Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And this is the verse, I think, where we are told not to covet, not to idol, idol worship, not, not coveting, but like idol worship. Idol meaning your bridegroom is telling you, do not be unfaithful. Don't go and and sleep with another. For I am a jealous God. I am a jealous husband. You see how I was making connections with love and fire and desire and the fire being God. And why I went to Song of Solomon to look for the very flame of the Lord. So let me, um, Harakisha, by the way, let me read through these other notes that I had written about Song of Solomon. So have I finished Ezekiel? So that's why in Song of Solomon chapter 3 verse 6, that's the connection I made in Ezekiel, right? Let me just finish this part. So we're still seeing fire around the son of man, one who looks like man with the appearance of a man seated on the throne right above this expanse that is blue in color sapphire in color lapis lazuli and it's on it's literally situated that expanse the throne the throne is on the expanse and the expanse is on the heads of these living creatures so verse um, 27 then i noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it and from the appearance of his loins and downward i saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him around him that who, who the person who's on the throne the being who's on the throne 
verse 28, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. I remember reading Revelation that where, where that who is, the person who is on the, the, I don't even know, can I call God a person? The one who is seated on the throne. You see that connection with the rainbow and the radiance of the rainbow being connected to like the one seated on the throne. I think it's Revelation chapter 4. Yes, Revelation chapter 4. Now this is John. I'm from Ezekiel. Now this is John writing this. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here and I will show you what, you, what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance around the throne were 24 thrones and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads this is perfect because later on I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to Revelation to see there's another one or the same one sitting on that throne. And it's the lamb who looks like he has been slain. That's what I'm looking for. The lamb that looks like he has been slain. Is it still verse 4? Because he's the one who's supposed to open... Mm -hmm. the one who sits on that this is so beautiful so let me just continue um, where I was so I wrote down uh, in Song of Solomon chapter 1 chapter 3 verse 6 the note that I wrote was Solomon who is riding the clouds because you see like columns of, of smoke I'm imagining like it's cloudy it looks like clouds that are on the ground, right? Columns of smoke. Because like it's, you know, it's like the winds have caught up and it's like tornadoes of smoke. So I'm imagining like columns of like clouds. So Solomon looks like he's riding the clouds, right? On a throne and with a crown on his head. Because we were told he has been crowned, right? And so Jesus, who is the son of man, Jesus is that one who is seated on the throne, who is, a, who is the glory of God. The, uh, in Revelation, uh, uh, not Revelation, Ezekiel, I'm just from reading. It's the glory of God. Uh, it's so hard to, to, re, to, nini, to remember this part where Ezekiel's, how Ezekiel ends chapter 1. The description of, like you can't even describe God. They try to find words to describe God. And I love it. I love how they use this Nini's. 
so this is the this the description right i mean he's from describing his loins the clothing and whatever and then verse 28 he says as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord right so it's beautiful so that's what I, I i wrote down i wrote okay so solomon is riding the clouds with a crown on his head on the throne and so he's symbolizing jesus who is the son of man who rides the clouds right and he's on seated on his throne and he's crowned the son of man is crowned right so that's what i saw in chapter three and then i wrote i i continued reading song of solomon went to chapter four verse seven i'm just reading those things that were highlighted while i was reading through song of solomon so verse seven there's this part where it says there is no blemish in you um song of solomon chapter four verse seven who is speaking i think this is probably the bridegroom because if it's pointing to jesus the one who has who is cleansed so that there's no blemish in them is the bride right so yeah um he so the bridegroom is speaking wow i love this um song of solomon chapter four verse verse seven you are altogether beautiful my darling and there's no blemish in you so when i read that i remembered ah okay husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to sanctify ezekiel no not ezekiel um ephesians chapter 5 Husbands love your wives verse 25. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. That's what came to mind. I wrote down the the bridegroom who is speaking right but then he's pointing to jesus tells his bride the church that there is no blemish in her again this is the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom right i'm trying to look like i'm trying to read song of solomon thinking like okay what's the bigger picture what's the actually what's actually what is the truth because all this is a shadow of what is true it's they are pointing to what is true right to the bride the true bridegroom and the true bride and then in verse 4 in chapter 4 verse 16 the bride says awake all north wind and come wind of the south make my garden breathe out fragrance let its spices be wafted abroad may my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruits so this is what i wrote down the bride's body 
is referred to or symbolized as a garden with fruitful trees that are pleasing to the eye and she tells the bridegroom to come into the garden and eat the pleasant or choicest fruits. So it's still pointing to the desire and the delight and the attract attractive trees that we were seeing, right? The the not trees. The thread that have been following of the pleasant trees that are um delight a delight to the eyes in Genesis chapter two and chapter three that are good for food. And so if this is the bright meaning when we go back, when we see like the full picture, like oh my gosh. You mean all these things all these things were pointing to the bridegroom and the bride, the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom. So what was the garden pointing to? We see that the garden is where the bride is. Let me think through. There's so much. <laughs> so much going on in my brain. Uh, it's like the Russian dolls. And I'm asking myself, which of the dolls am I going to start talking about? The bigger one, the middle one, the fifth one, the fourth one, the last small one. Like there's so many dolls, right? Um. Okay. Let me just focus on the verse. Verse 16. The bride is speaking about her, her, how she presents herself. She's speaking about herself as a garden. She's referring to herself, her being, herself, her body, herself, like her whole self as a garden. A garden that is pleasing to the eye. A garden that has, that has fruits that can be enjoyed. A garden that smells, has a beautiful fragrance right and so she's calling on her beloved and that's something i noticed by the way i haven't confirmed completely like i haven't checked everything but the bride calls the bridegroom my beloved and the bridegroom calls the bride i mean he calls her several things but there's my love he calls her my love and he calls her there are some several things that he calls her so when we see from the very beginning of the narrative, the narrator in my imaginary story, which is literally just the Bible. Um, I mean, when I say imaginary, I'm not saying the Bible is imaginary. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm imagining I'm picking up a book just anywhere and I'm reading through a, a narrative. Or I'm I'm listening to, uh, I'm watching a movie and there's a narrator who's explaining oh once upon a time there was a garden and it had beautiful trees that were pleasing to the eye and they were good for food and then one man and one woman were told not to take and eat were warned not to take and eat from this by their creator from this one tree but you come a pop of girls but then professor utonium accidentally dropped into the concussion chemical x like that actually it's a very good narrative it's it's a not narrative professor utonium is a creator okay in this case god did not god was not accidental i'm thinking adam and eva like professor utonium 
and the snake is Mojo Jojo because eventually we find that Mojo Jojo is the one who knocked over Professor Utonium <laughs> and the chemical X entered the sugar, spice, oh, the desirable things, the fragrances, sugar, spice, and everything nice. <laughs> is this not the desirable tree? Right? The garden, the beautiful garden. Anyway, so we see Mojo Jojo comes and incites becomes the um the um the instigator like he's the one who the car the the what uh, catalyst yeah in what jojo's in in professor utonium's case he knocks him over but in his case the mojo jojo aka the serpent comes to talk to eve and tries to make her think in another direct, make another choice, right? And then poof, it's not accidental, but they they make they make the right the, the wrong choice. They make a choice and it ends up being the wrong choice. But in Professor Etonium's case, Powerpuff Girls have powers and they're good. I think that the like the opposite narrative. It's like the other universe. What do you call the other universe? Alternative universe. Where where Mojojojo aka the snake came and tricked Adam and Eve and from that decision that they made together, Adam and Eve, um, the union was was because um, chemical X is like the, the tree. Right? It's like the tree that you sh that can lead to death. Um the fruit that can lead to death when you eat of it. But in the alternate universe, Pop of Girls, they have powers. You see, like the tree was desirable to make one wise, aka powers, right? And so in the alternate universe, Pop of Girls become very good innocent children. They're nice. They then they fight the evil. Mojojojo becomes the one of the major adversaries that they fight. Can you imagine? <laughs> but you see. Pop of girls don't need to be saved in that narrative, in that alternate universe, Pop of girls don't need to be saved. But in the actual universe, Adam and Eve and the offspring of mankind, yeah, we need to be saved because even though now we our eyes have been opened, we have the AKA powers, like we have our wisdom, we can make our own um we can we can we have wisdom and knowledge, right? To create. And now we have a choice to either do the right thing or the wrong thing. We still have to face death. Chemical X is killing us. The chemical X is killing us. It has poisoned our hearts. Right? So we become blind. The farther away we are from our creator. So anyway, that's my brain. How was I? <laughs> Taking a tangent. So Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 16. The bride says, Awake. O north wind, and come, wind of the south, make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruit. A violated choice because it's like it is, eat its um, pleasing fruit. Eat, eat its delightful fruits. Eat its attractive fruits. Eat its... choice fruit let me actually 
City Bible Hub, Song of Solomon, Chapter 4, verse 16. I want to see the word choice and see what word has been used there. Northwind, uh-huh, uh-huh. Eat. Oh, pleasant fruits. Nice. So I'm on the right track. Yeah, eat its pleasant fruits. It's the word that has been used. It's pleasant. Choice. Yeah, pleasant. Okay, nice. Okay. So what I've written down, my understanding is the bride's body, and by her body I mean her being, right, from her mind, body, and soul, whatever. The bride's body is referred to and or symbolized as a garden with fruitful trees that are pleasing to the eye, and she tells her she tells the bridegroom to come into the garden and eat the pleasant choices fruits. Even the coming in. You see how Adam and Eve were chased out of the garden, and now there's a way. There's a way into the garden. Christ is that way. But I'm also seeing this because it's the bride who's saying, come in. Right? When Christ is the way, Christ is the one saying, come, come and see, come into the garden. There's a way. I am the way. But then, when I read the bride telling the bridegroom to come into the garden, I'm, imag I'm not imagining. I'm thinking about my previous study when I was... I was talking about Christ telling the church in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I knock at the door. Kwanzaa, oh wow, this is exactly that. Because in one of these chapters, I don't remember exactly where, we see the bridegroom coming to knock at the door of the bride, of the bride's chambers. He comes to knock. And I think it takes the bride, the bride a long time to get to the door or something. But by the time the bride opens the door for the bridegroom the bride is not there you see and then she goes yeah she goes to the to the city and this uh to look for the bride and then she is attacked oh my gosh <laughs> starting to remember what i was wow yeah it's here in, in chapter five okay let me continue reading so my point is christ knocks at the door and you have to open the door for him he doesn't force himself in, right? So you have to welcome him. That's why the bride is saying, come into the garden and eat the pleasant choices, fruits, the pleasant fruits. Okay, the other thing I noted, the highlight that I noted in Song of Solomon was in chapter 5, verse 1. Eat, friends, and drink, and be drunk with love. And I remembered. It's like Beyonce stole from Nini. Drunk in love. <laughs> I stole from Song of Solomon. <laughs> Anyway, did I say he? She stole. Um, chapter 5, verse 1. The reason why I've highlighted this part is because I've written down, it reminds me of Ecclesiastes. Which makes me also think about Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes seems so gloomy. And like there's nothing else you want us, like you have advice for us just to eat and drink and be merry. And follow God's commandments. Like literally that. Because I was like. Jeez. This is such a. Gloomy and sad. Book. <laughs> but then when I read Song of Solomon. Chapter 5 verse 1. Um, 
the the bridegroom is this not the bridegroom yeah the bridegroom is speaking and say i have come into my garden now the bride offered right she said come into the garden now the bridegroom is answering and saying i have come into my garden my sister my bride i have gathered my ma along with my balsam i have eaten my honeycomb and my honey i have drunk my wine and my milk eat friends drink and imbibe deeply o lovers what is imbibe imbibe drink oh okay drink in brackets alcohol absorb or assimilate okay consume drink okay so the bridegroom is saying drink and drink <laughs> drink and consume deeply oh lovers verse two i was asleep but my no okay so that is nasb says drink and imbibe deeply ESV says I drank my wine with my milk. Now that was the bridegroom. <clears throat> and then there's this it's like a chorus. There are other people is like singing this chorus. They're saying this chorus. In several even in other chapters there are these things that the others the others like a chorus by other people, not the bridegroom and the bride. It's like they're it's an audience. Right? So now the audience is saying eat friends drink and be drunk with love that's why i got the drunk with love thing esv so i read that and I, it, it reminded me of ecclesiastes let me see if i can find ecclesiastes let me just i'll just press any chapter chapter nine and scroll and see whether eating and drinking if there's something there because i kept on let me go to niv because i had highlighted several things Okay, perfect. Literally, just press the chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, Sheol, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So that's what reminded me when I, when I saw eat and drink, and it's the bridegroom telling, uh, no, it's the people telling the bridegroom and the bride. Okay, and then chapter 5, verse 7, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 7. Let me go back to NASB. It's talking about these watchmen. So the bride, right? Let me read this part where the bride is not, the bridegroom is knocking. Okay, I'll just continue reading, right? Uh, let me see ESV because it shows what, who is talking. Okay. The bride starts talking in verse 10. Let me continue reading verse 5, chapter 5, right? After eat and drink. So I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Now this is the bride speaking, verse 2. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. 
a, a voice, my beloved was knocking. Jesus who is knocking. A voice, my beloved was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling. Let me pause for a minute. This, this sister and brother thing. I had um, also... It's it's uh it's like feminine and masculine. It's pointing to the feminine and the masculine. It's not pointing to because I was studying hat letter eight and it's connected to oh man. I'll have to start talking about the hat letter now. But no, let me not. It's not about like um like the sister of my mother or the brother of my mother. Okay, okay. So, the bridegroom is saying, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. This is what I was saying. The bridegroom has so many names for the bride. But then the bride just calls him my beloved. Which is nice anyway. So, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. This is the bride. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. I have taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? My beloved extended his hand through the opening, and my feelings were aroused for him. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers were liquid myrrh, and the handles of the bolt. On the handles of the bolt, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart, this reminds me of like the ten virgins who, although I don't know if it's pointing exactly to that, but I'm asking myself like, at what point do we see like a narrative where Jesus is knocking, the perfect bridegroom is knocking, and you open the door, but then you don't find him. It's like this part where Jesus tells the disciples, you, you guys will see me. When I go, you guys will see me. But the world will not see me. Maybe it's that. But then this is a bride. Anyway, I don't know. Just questions in my head. So she opens the door and she doesn't find him, right? He's gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him. I searched. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. Verse 7. This is what I have highlighted. The watchman who make the rounds in the city, found me. They struck me and wounded me. The guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. So she was abused. She was mistreated. And this is what I've written down, right? The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me and bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls, um, I've said, reminds me of the parable of the tenants, in brackets, the Pharisees, because at the end, the Pharisees were like, they knew Jesus was talking about them. So Jesus gives this parable of the tenants about a, a, an owner of a vineyard, right, who has a vineyard, and he, he rents the vineyard to tenants, and then tells the tenants, I'm going to come back for my harvest. Take care of the, of the vineyard. And then I'll come back for my part of the harvest. And when the owner sends uh, messengers to come for the harvest, the tenants kill those messengers, aka the prophets. 
time and time again, they continue killing them. But then the owner of the vineyard says, you know what? I'm sure they'll respect my son. So he sends his son, right, to, to get the harvest. But then the tenants see this as an opportunity to own everything. This is also pointing me back to like the serpent, the Satan, whose desire, whose longing is to be the heir. Like the one who owns it all, who owns all kingdoms, who is the king of kings. He desires that. He desires to sit on God's throne. So even these watchmen whose desire is connected to that evil one, they're like, oh, wait, if we kill the son, who is the heir, everything will be ours. You see that mindset, that desire, they want to covet, right? So they kill the son. And now Jesus asks the disciples and those who are around him, like, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do to these guys, these wretched tenants? And the people are like, oh, like he will handle them. Like, I don't remember exactly how they answered, but they were like, he'll deal with them proper. So, no, no. so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew that Jesus was talking about them and they wanted to kill Jesus. So that's what I've remembered. And I've also said, and it also reminds me of the blind shepherds in Isaiah, because I remember reading in Isaiah about these blind shepherds. Let me search blind shepherds. Because they are watchmen. I think even Isaiah talks about watchmen, shepherds in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 56 verse 10 to 12. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen. Perfect. This is nice. So let me go back to Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, the watchmen found me. They found the bride. They found the lost sheep. Right? The lost coin. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me and they bruised me and they took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls. And before I even read Isaiah, Jesus also talks to, to the Pharisees and says, you guys, you go and find somebody you turn you 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 um in you bring him into the kingdom and you make him even worse than he was before even coming into the kingdom. The part where Jesus is saying, Woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you, right? So Jesus is talking about these shepherds who are mistreating and harming his flock, his bride. So Isaiah fifty six, verse ten. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, are blind and ignorant. They are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around, sleeping and dreaming, like greedy dogs. They are never satisfied. Perfect. This is also pointing to desire, right? They are never satisfied. They are greedy. Love that. So let me continue reading. So I've read, I highlighted verse 7. Another verse I highlighted was verse 16. Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 16. Aha. Uh -huh. His mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Zion. Yeah, so I highlighted that for the desirable part, desire. So I was like, ah, okay, he is wholly desirable. So, let me see. 
Huh. NIV says his mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. So instead of desirable, he said altogether lovely. It's fine. Um, I went to the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 4, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. That's the verse I highlighted. Um, who is speaking? This is the bridegroom. This was a very fun thing to find. Like a beautiful treasure to find. So verse 4 says, You are beautiful as Taza, T-I-R-Z-A-H. You are as, be- as beautiful as Taza, Tizar, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome as an army with banners. Now this Taza, I was, I was wondering like, okay, what does this mean? So I googled and found, I think I have a screenshot about Nimendika Pacini. Taza meaning delight, pleasantness. So you're as delightful as delight. You're as beautiful as Taza. I love that. So what does Taza mean in Hebrew? The meaning, it means delight. And see how delight is connected to desire from the very beginning like the delight the trees were a delight to the sight i remember that correctly genesis chapter 3 verse 6 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes right even in chapter 2 verse 9 pleasant to the sight so delight is um there's this this Hebrew word hamad, pleasing, desire. That word for desire, pleasing, to desire, to take pleasure in, attracted, covet, delight, desirable, precious. So those are one of the ninis that I had been um, looking into. The the other Hebrew words for desire used for desire. So that's why I keep highlighting any anywhere where I see delight. Right, so it means delight, um, delight, pleasantness. This Tarza may wait. There was Onituza. There's a way that they were pronouncing this. Uh, Tirza pronunciation. Let me see. Terza. 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 Okay. So that's how to pronounce T I R Z A H. So that's what it means. Delight, pleasantness. So I love the fact that. The verse says, you are as beautiful as Tarzar. Tarzar. And then I think there's this verse I saw like it uses delight and then the Tarzar means delight. Okay, this one says beautiful. ESV says beautiful. NIV, verse 4. You're as beautiful as Tarzar, my darling. Okay. Okay, so they all say beautiful. I like that because beauty is also linked to attractiveness and desirable. So you're as desirable as delight, as Tarza. I love that. So I highlighted that part. I also highlighted chapter 7, verse 6. 
how beautiful and how delightful you are. Oh, wait. That's a repetition of verse, chapter 6, verse 4. So saying you are as beautiful as, as Taza, my darling, in chapter 7, verse 6, saying my love. So this is the bridegroom speaking again. So he's literally repeating what he said in verse 6, but then he's saying how beautiful and how delightful you are, my love. I highlighted also verse 10. The bride now is speaking and says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Now this is, I think, the first place where in Song of Solomon where I saw like it's out wide, like like um, direct link. Oh, I don't know if direct is the right word. Like this is the part where I saw like, ooh, I can point to this part and say like it's literally talking about Genesis and the desire that I was looking for in Genesis, the longing. Because this is the bride and the bridegroom speaking and the bride is saying that I am my beloved's, I am my husband's, right? I'm my bridegroom's and his desire is for me. And then in Genesis chapter, again, this is like, um, this is the perfect, perfect, I have in mind, like this is the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom. So in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, the inverse, which is not good, again, I'm also not exactly sure here. I, that's why I was saying like this. I also have some questions like, is it wrong for Eve to long for her husband? Is it wrong for Eve to desire her husband? Because it's put in a way like it's a negative thing. So maybe the longing is for, it's a negative kind of a desire. In that it's not longing so that they can be one flesh, but maybe it's longing so that she can overrule him. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. But then now we see, if this bride in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 called Eve desires her husband and he will rule over her, then this perfect bride in Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 10 like boasts, she boasts about her husband's desire for her. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And again, we're not. I'm not saying like, there's nowhere in Song of Solomon where we see like this bride desiring her husband because we see that clearly. But I'm just saying like, because even in verse 5, verse 16, I've just read his mouth is is uh, is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. So she also desires him, right? So there's, I think Song of Solomon shows us like the, the perfect union. The husband and the wife in in um, Ephesians chapter 5 that Paul was talking about. Where he can talk about a husband and wife and at the same time say, by the way, I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is all pointing to Christ and the church. And this is how we should reflect Christ and his church here it, within the union of marriage. Because Paul is talking about the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom, the perfect husband and the perfect wife. How are we supposed to reflect a word, the, the good word? How are we supposed to um, reflect Christ and his bride? Right? How are we supposed to be a reflection of that? And I think also Song of Solomon is talking about that same husband and that same bride. So I saw that. I highlighted that. My beloved. I am my beloved and his desire is for me, says the bride. Um, I jumped to the last chapter 
Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 4 two hours in oh my gosh I haven't even talked about this other thing I saw okay will I really attach the desire thing I don't know if I should attach the desire for last time oh, okay I don't know I'll think about that because it's so long now and I'm so sure I'll go for another hour I think I should should I pause here now, let me finish this song of Solomon thing and then I pause and then I continue now with the other topic that I, I saw connected to this. Chapter 8 verse 4. Do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Another translation says, do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases. Another translation says, do not arouse or awaken love until he pleases. Until it so desires. So the pleases and the desires is pointing back to the desiring. Connecting love with desire. With pleasure. Do not awaken uh, my love until she pleases. Until she desires. Do not awaken uh, my... Do not awaken love until it pleases. Until it so desires. So that's something I saw. Another connection there. Now the last two verses I'm going to highlight in Song of Solomon is verse 6 and verse 11. Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 6 says, I've started in the beginning so let me start from the first one. I started as love is a strong. So verse 6 is put me, who is speaking, the chorus bridegroom. I think this is the bride speaking. We go to ESV. Longing for her beloved. Yeah, this is the bride speaking. She's longing. <gasps> Wait, longing. She's desiring her beloved. I love this. I'm so sure there's so much. Of course I know. There's so much that I need to understand here. Because I'm just touching on what was coming to my mind while I was looking into this desire thing i didn't actually do a deeper dive when it comes to what like any studies people have done again i usually say that my bible studies are usually like the beginner beginner studies so i'm aware of that um so verse song of solomon chapter 8 verse 6 says put me this is bright put me like a seal over your heart connecting heart and desire Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor with will rivers overflow it. <sighs> There's so many things. I also saw connections here with this and and um, Proverbs. Talking about... I actually, let me jump to Proverbs chapter 5. Right? About the quenching. Proverbs is Proverbs... I was going to the New Testament. Proverbs chapter 5. Quanta this. There's... Oh, wait, okay. Okay, wait. Let me just read. Oh, wait. Okay. Okay, wait. 
Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Oh my goodness, okay. Okay, let me just read Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, when I read this, it's like Song of Solomon, but the advice is being given to like the 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 bridegroom-to-be, the son. The mother, you see, in Song of Solomon, the mother is the one who's giving the crown, putting the crown on her son's head during his wedding day, right? He crowns um, her son's head. But then now, the son is not married yet. So the mother, this is, we're seeing like before the marriage, the mother is, before like any union, the mother is advising the son on who the perfect bride should be and all these things. So let me read Proverbs chapter 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. This is also Song of Solomon talking about how the drips, the lips of the bride drip honey. <laughs> but you see how it's one coin and one side can be like, oh, it's it's the two women. This is like the two the women, the narrative of the woman that I was talking about in the chapter, no, not chapter, season seven. Right? Wow, there's the adulterous woman, the and um, and then there's this other woman, like the bride, the wisdom, the the virtuous woman. Oh, wow. Okay. Verse two, my son. And then she's continuing saying, uh, for the lips of an adulterous adulteress drip honey. And smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 6. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Okay, so depending on who you love, can either lead to death or to life. Love can lead to lead to death, lead you to death or to life. If you love that the wayward woman, the adulterous woman, it will lead to death, to shield. But if you love the perfect bride, the virtuous woman, the yeah, that one. It leads to life. So verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Or you will give your vigor to others. And your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you, and you groan at your final end and your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say how I have hated instruction and my heart spanned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers or inclined, 
inclining, desiring, or inclining my ear to my instructors, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone. This is like the garden. Drink water from the garden alone. From the bride. The garden is the bride, right? Okay. Let them be yours alone and, do, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Ecclesiastes of Solomon. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hint and a graceful door, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Song of Solomon. Be, ex- exil- okay. be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? And embrace the bosom of a foreigner. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. And he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for the lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. This is Proverbs chapter 5. Literally linking me back to Adam and Eve. Talking about death and how desire desiring that which is not good that which is the desires of the heart that point that lead me to the adulterous man or woman because i'm a female to lead me to shield the wages of sin is death so i saw that in song of solomon chapter 8 verse 6 love is as strong as death jealousy is as severe as shield its flashes are flashes of fire the very flame of the lord now this very flame of the lord i'm so sure i'll come back to this thing again because i'm seeing it point to god being god is love right this is what i see god is love so the love that i have that i that is between the bridegroom and the bride the source of that love is god so for that flame to not go out for that love to not dry for the fountain to not dry out you need to be connected to rivers of living water that never dry jesus saying come to me all you who are thirsty and i will give you drink water to drink and in you will flow livers of living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm saying God needs to be in you. You need to be one with God. The Spirit of God needs to fill you. The union between the husband and the wife and the bride, if it's not in God, if it's not covered by God, the flame, the very flame of the Lord, then it does not last. The flame will will nini will go out and they'll be left two fires two wild fires the man and the woman if god leaves the man and god leaves the woman if the yoda leaves the man and the hay leaves the woman i'm talking about like how the word fire if you add the letter 
yod, Hebrew letter yod, in, in the middle of the letters that make up the word fire, it forms man. And if you add the letter he at the end of the word for fire, it forms the word woman. So the woman and the man in them is fire. Right? What sustains them is fire. And it's not just any fire. Because when you add when when you take that yod and the hay, yod hay, that's the name of God. Yah. That that forms the name Yah. Yahweh. Yod hey vav hey. Yah. That's the beginning of God's name. Yah. W H hey. Yod hey. So that means God needs to be in man. God needs to be in woman. The fire of God needs to be in man. And the fire of God needs to be in the woman. For the two fires, the two flames, the man and the woman, to, to, to burn forever. And this is there's a perversion that the devil brings. Because I've been studying about these um, temples. Not really studying. But I came across like, for example, I keep referring to like the, the virgins of Rome. What are they called? They had this burning altar the the fire that didn't that should they that um that was not supposed to go out virgins of rome i've forgotten their names vestal virgins okay the vestal virgins in ancient rome the vestal virgins or the vestals were priestesses of vesta virgin goddess of rome sacred hearth and its flame so this flame of this goddess was not supposed to go out. The hearth is like the altar. It's like uh, the fireplace where the, where the nini, the fire is ninied. It's like an altar where they would place the images of their gods. So there was this big fire where these female priestesses, that's why I'm saying it's a perversion. The devil, the evil one, just wants to pervert what is God's, that he can be God. But again, just like Ezekiel chapter 28 says, he, he is consumed from within. Fire, the fire of God that is in his creation, because he is also created, the covering cherub, the fire of God consumes him from within. That's why I was talking about hell and saying like, hell, if you're not in God... If the fire of God is not in you, if God's spirit, the fire of God is not in you, you will not live. You can, he, only God's fire can sustain. Only God's fire can sustain. So these Vestal virgins, they were actual human beings, virgins, actual virgins in Rome who are trying to like sustain this fire. There was an actual fire, an altar, a fire that was, they were supposed to make sure the fire keeps burning. But again, where is Rome now? Rome has fallen. These, these systems of the world where the evil one tries, tries to build, tries to build a tower of Babel so that they can, he can reach God's level. They always fall. Right? So that's what I was saying when I, when I read Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 6, the very flame of the Lord, it brings me back to this thing with man and woman. Without God, the two flames, the man, the flame in the man and the flame in the woman, 
will be destructive. It will lead to death. There will be no life. But when with God in man and in woman, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire that comes that sustains them. That even the physical fire around them does not touch them because the true fire is with them there, the fire that sustains. You see? It's like the fire, the burning bush. The bush was not getting nini, was not burning. It was not getting consumed because the fire of God, that flame, the very flame of God, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'll come back to this. Let me highlight it with like a pink highlight. I had highlighted it yellow, but pink was, is brighter. So I think I'll come back to it. Okay, let me read the last verse that I have highlighted in in um <clears throat> in Song of Solomon's that I pause because I'm two hours and twenty minutes in. Song of Solomon chapter eight verse eleven. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. And then I said, reminds me of the parable of the tenants again and the talents and the blind shepherds because. Again, they're caretakers of a vineyard and they're supposed to bring in some harvest, right? The harvest that they have agreed upon with the, the owner of the vineyard. So it reminded me of that. And I talked about in the previous study about this Baal Hamon. Baal, Baal Hamon, it's a place, but at the same time, Baal is like the God. The word, I, this is a study I want to continue th studying when it comes to the Aleph. I talked about it in Mastery, so... I'm not going to touch on Baal right now. But then I'll pause so that I can talk about some. At least this is brief. But the topic itself is not brief. I don't even know if I should pause here. And this is just a study on its own. And then I'll continue this study next week. I think that it looks like I'll do that. I think I'll end here. This is me just sharing where my thoughts when it comes to what I've been studying when it comes to um, desire. Let me actually mention what next week's study is. Because I was like, okay, desires of the heart. Okay, so the New Testament talks about the flesh and the spirit. Because I was thinking like, I don't, I don't see how this connects to me. Because we're talking about husband and wife. I'm not married. I understand Jesus is my bride, my husband, my bridegroom. I'm the bride. I mean, I get that aspect, but I wanted it to connect to like connect to me right now, you know, when it comes to these desires of the flesh. And then I think it's yesterday, I'm on today, I don't remember exactly. I think I was watching something and the person talked about the desires of the flesh and the spirit. I was like, oh, exactly. Why have I not gone to the New Testament? I remembered Romans. So I haven't even studied Romans or anything, but I was still in the Old Testament and I came across, if it's the heart, if the issue is the heart, then how does, how has God, um, ans how has God dealt with that? Circumcision, circumcision of the heart. And then I was like, oh my gosh, circumcision is on the eighth day. Eight, I've been studying eight, letachet, and it's pointing to like, oh my, there's so much. But then, like, I think the topic will for next week, I think it will be bridegroom of blood. Exodus chapter 4, 4 from verse 24 to 26. I mean, even from verse 21. Oh, man. Because it's so much. I think that's when I'll start even touching on the chet, the letter 8. 
after this bridegroom of blood study because I'll explain even next week I'll explain even why I'll why I started studying the bridegroom of blood topic in Exodus but I think that's it for today anything else I need to touch on I actually think I've shared so far Song of Solomon helped me summarize all this when it comes to desire because so many places it has talked about the desire and ple- what what is pleasant and delight um, the bride and the bridegroom pointing back to even Adam right but then this is that I uh, it's these are my words like the perfect bride and the perfect bridegroom because I'm seeing Christ and the church and how he has made us perfect right we can't make ourselves perfect oh beautiful taking me back to the garden so yeah i think that's enough for today i don't know if i'll attach the the desire um the desire recording from last week should i you know what i won't i won't i won't attach it but at least I'm, I've mentioned it enough in this recording for somebody who, whoever will listen to this, to know that, okay, when when it comes to this fire thing and desire thing, they can even just Google fire in Hebrew. They see that H and then they see man in Hebrew or even ask, actually, let me do that. Let me ask ChatGPT. Actually, just so that I don't lose this recording, let me pause and then ask ChatGPT something. Let me pause and save. Okay, recording saved. So let me ask ChatGPT. Um, how will I write this prompt? Um, expound in detail the connection between the Hebrew word for fire and to um, expound the expound in detail the connection between the Hebrew word for fire with the Hebrew word for man and woman. Let me see what it brings up. Okay, looks like it's similar. So let me start reading. <clears throat> In Hebrew, the word for fire is that Hebrew letter pronounces esh, while the word for man pronounced as ish, and the word for woman is pronounced as isha. There's an interesting linguistic connection between these words, although it's important to note that their origins and meanings are distinct. The connection between fire and the word for man and woman lies in the Hebrew language's construction. The words for man, ish, and woman, isha, both share their root, aleph, shin. Right? These are the letters, aleph and shin, which is also present in the word for fire, esh, the aleph and the shin. Some scholars suggest that this linguistic similarity might reflect deeper symbolic connections. Fire in various cultures and belief systems has been associated with vitality, passion, and the spark of life. Similarly, in Hebrew tradition, man-ish and woman-isha 
come together in a union that is often considered the source of life, passion, and the continuation of humanity. However, it's, it's essential to approach these connections with caution as linguistic associations can be coincidental and not necessarily indi uh, indicative of a profound philosophical or cultural link. The similarity in root letters could be a linguistic quirk rather than a deliberate conceptual connection. Okay, so that's my point, but it is deliberate to me. Of course, it's chat GPT. But to me, this is deliberate because every word in the Hebrew language, from beginning to end, the meanings are so con concise. Is concise the word? Concise. Concise, giving a lot of information clearly and in a few words, brief but comprehensive. That's the perfect word. They are so concise. They are jam-packed with meaning. Every letter. Oh, my voice in a disappear. <laughs> Every letter that forms that word. And the word itself. Like, the connections are insane. And again, I am not the type to dive deep into this. Because I'm the type to, um, to like, um, <laughs> I, I, Sometimes I go to extremes. If I'm researching something and I find it so interesting, like I'll go down the rabbit hole deep, deep, and it'll, it'll take a lot of my time. So the little research stuff touched on when it comes to these words and the letters, oh, the Hebrew alphabet, I touched on Zayin and Vav and now Het. It's just what I feel I'm being led to study and understand because... I don't feel like whatever I've shared today has not made sense to me <laughs> again because it's my brain I was going I was um I was explaining in today's study I was explaining what my thought process was when when I was thinking through the desire right desire and far and all this thing in the bible so I haven't touched on because I feel it's a conclusion ish ish and by conclusion, I mean like it's a conclusion on desire, but it starts next week's episode will be like a conclusion on desire. I mean, I do feel like I made a conclusion now, but because it was a continuous study I had done, um, next week's episode will be, I won't even touch sana sana on desire, but I'll touch on the heart. It will be about the heart because of circumcision of the heart. And my reasons for the heart will be because of the desires are in the heart right so that will be the connection i'll be making with desire but i'll start talking about just some other things man it's insane <laughs> i love this so i think that's it i think my time is up now i've overstayed okay i'm packing um let me pray thank you god for your word thank you for the truth thank you for wisdom and knowledge thank you for speaking thank you for um thank you for desire thank you for desire may you guide my desires give me new desires you've told us 
think that's something that you said like you'll give us new desires the desires of our hearts um I pray, oh God, that you continue guiding me. I know I have not been the most obedient. I haven't been your most obedient child. I know that. I'm aware. But you've been patient with me. But God, I don't want to um, take advantage of your patience and your faithfulness. So as I take these steps that you've been telling me to take, Guide me, strengthen me, um, bless the works of my hands, bless my family, cover and protect my family, protect us from the evil one, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, protect my nation, and protect your bride, the church, perfect us so that we may be one just as you are one it's in jesus name i pray trusted and believing oh i'm praying for healing as well for my family um and um i'm praying for my future bridegroom under the sun i pray that you cover him lead him protect him anoint him sanctify him strengthen him and teach him in Jesus name I pray trusting and believing Amen Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode hopefully you'll be joining me every Tuesday for new episodes of the Trying Podcast Stay safe guys Bye